0: The mission of Christ is to bring salvation to those who are guilty of breaking God's commandments, God's laws. He came to bring forgiveness, but he also challenged her to go and to sin no more. He did not say, neither do I condemn you. Go and do what you've done before. He said, no, go and sin no more.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: Well, today we're looking at John chapter 8, verses 1 through 29, and it seems like I'm trying to grab a lot of text, and I am, uh, but for a reason, because... The last time I taught through the Gospel of John, it took me two and a half years to get through it. And I'm not wanting to stay here for two and a half years, and so I'm grabbing big chunks. And I, I mapped it out at the beginning of the year, actually in December, and I've been staying on point so far. But uh, we are going to look at a few different events that take place during this time. This is right after the Feast of Tabernacles. We find last week at the Feast of Tabernacles, we know it was the Feast of Tabernacles because in John chapter 7, it tells us that Jesus is there at the feast. And we read back in verse 37 last week on the last day of the great day of the feast. And so as the close of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And, and of course, that speaking, John gives commentary in verse 39, speaking uh, of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus promised those who are thirsty that God would send the Holy Spirit come to Jesus and drink. And so this is just after the feast. Jesus is still there. He's teaching in the temple. It's immediately following the Feast of Tabernacles. We know that Tabernacles takes place in either late September to late October. So it gives us a timeline that Jesus is five to six months out, depending on how the Jewish calendar works, before his crucifixion. So we're in the last, we could easily say, last six months of his life, his final teachings here. And this event taking place just after the Feast of Tabernacles. So I titled this, You Will Know, in verses 1 through 29 of John 8, and broke it into three sections. Neither do I condemn you, verses 1 through 11, the light of the world, verses 12 through 20, and verses 21 through 29, the Son of Man. I'm going to go ahead and just read through our first point. It is verses 1 through 11, neither do I condemn you, and then I'll open us up in prayer. I'm going to back up to verse 53. It actually goes with this. John chapter 7, verse 53. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. But early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted of their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Father, I pray that you would open Scripture to us today, Lord, and a familiar passage perhaps to The majority of us here today, Lord, but make your word fresh to us. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church this day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I wanted to back up to verse 53 because that really goes with the text itself. Everyone went to their own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And we never read of Jesus having a home. He is always Staying somewhere, being invited in, perhaps in different communities throughout Israel at that time. But another thing we never read about is Jesus staying in the city of Jerusalem proper. We never read about him spending the night there. But here he went out to the Mount of Olives. It's just across from the Temple Mount, and you can do this to this day. You can't go out the same way because the gate has been sealed shut. And if you ever see a a picture of Temple Mount today and the eastern wall of Jerusalem, you can see the gates, I think the very tops of the gates that Jesus would have used. It's the eastern gate. It is the king's gate. It's the gate that the prince would have used to come into the temple area. And it was just across from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives known because it had a grove of olive trees there, and amazingly, there are still trees at the base of that mountain, that date back to the time of Christ. They'll actually take you to a tree and say, this is the one where Jesus prayed, there in the garden of Gethsemane, and where he prayed that night and cried out to his father. I don't know if we can actually know. And when you go on tours in Israel, they take you to a lot of places where they say, this is the actual spot. And some have said that they made those spots kind of convenient to the road traffic When you're traveling around, it would be inconvenient to actually travel to the actual area. But we do know in Jerusalem that we have the Temple Mount, that's not moved, and the Mount of Olives across from it. It is still there, and the olive trees, some dating back well over 2,000 years old. That is just amazing to me that the trees have continued to survive this long. What a testimony! So he went out by the eastern gate in Jerusalem. It's also known as the Golden Gate or the Beautiful Gate. And it's called in Hebrew the Gate of Mercy. In Ezekiel 46 12, now when the prince makes a voluntary burnt offering or voluntary peace offering to the Lord, the gate that faces toward the east shall be opened for him. And he shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offering. As he did on the Sabbath day, and he shall go out, and after he goes out, the gate shall be shut. And so this is the thought that when Jesus comes, he'll enter through the eastern gate. The gate today is shut. It's sealed shut with stones. I mean, you can't open it. It would have to be broken open. But the idea of Christ one day will enter into this gate when he'll come again at the second coming in his feet will set down on two mountains, the word tells us, on Mount Moriah and there on Mount of Olives. But we never read of Jesus sleeping in the walls of Jerusalem. It tells us, though, in John 18, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus had spoken these words, this is about six months later, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, and there was a garden which he and his disciples entered, and Judas, who betrayed him, Also knew of the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to go to the Mount of Olives, to go into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and to be with his disciples. In fact, Judas would know this is where Jesus would be on that night that he came to betray him there with the guards that came to arrest Jesus. And so here we have this situation. Jesus is teaching in the temple, and the religious rulers came. And as he taught, they brought this woman caught in the act of adultery. In verse 2, first I want us to notice that all the people came to Jesus, and Jesus sat down and taught them. That was a common thing. I think I like this the older I get. The method of teaching in Jesus' day is that the students would stand and the teacher would sit give me a chair let's try it right now <laughs> but it meant when the teacher would sit that he had something to say and the pupils would stand the common people though they heard him gladly mark 12:37 they heard jesus gladly in luke 9:19 9, 47 through 48 and jesus taught daily in the temple The chief priests, the scribes, the leader of the people sought to destroy him and they were unable to do anything for all the people were attentive to hear him. The people, the regular folks, they just loved to hear Jesus teach. Now the religious rulers, they wanted to see him destroyed and they came at this time testing Jesus. They were always testing Jesus and they used the word of God. They would use a passage from Uh, Leviticus from Deuteronomy that speaks about adultery and at this time in the middle of his teaching they brought this woman and you can somewhat imagine the scene I'm sure the woman didn't want to come willingly or perhaps uh, she came in humility because she had been caught in the act of adultery and they would say in the very act that she came in humility We might envision someone just screaming and crying and not wanting to go with someone else in this sense to be judged, but maybe she at this point was so broken that she came in silence, and it was the religious rulers who were making the noise there, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in in adultery in the very act, and Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? So they came testing Jesus. They reminded Jesus what the law said should happen to her. But they wanted to know what Jesus would do. Now, this is in the Ten Commandments. It's number seven, Exodus 20, 14. You shall not commit adultery. And so this is, we might say, one of the big tens, the things that we shall not do. You shall not commit adultery. And the first thing we notice, though, is that the woman is alone the old adage goes it takes two to tango and they said we caught her in the very act so where's the guy they didn't bring the guy and and there are you know bible scholars that theorize why they didn't bring the guy some would say that they knew the guy and didn't want to get him in trouble but in leviticus 20:10 the law states the man who commits adultery with another man's wife he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife the adulterer the man The adulteress, the woman, shall be put to death. That's what the law states. Both should have been there, present. And so we find the hypocrisy, even in the religious rulers, that they didn't bring the the man, not the husband, the man, and the woman, just the woman. Yet Jesus, he ignored them. The law states death by stoning. But Jesus stooped down and he began to write on the ground. You know, this is not the first time that the finger of God wrote accusation against someone. We go back to Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. It tells us that that same hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And here's what he wrote, verses 25 through 29. This is the inscription. Meany meaning tekel eupharsin. You guys remember that from vacation Bible school a, year, a few years ago? It's almost VBS time here. We uh, stressed this in one of our VBSs. Meany meaning meaning. The meaning of that, have to be careful of saying meaning and meaning at the same time. It's kind of confusing there. The meaning of the word meaning. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it, tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And you farsen, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So it's not the first time that the finger of God has written accusation against someone. And we find that Jesus, he stooped down, he began to write on the ground. And they continued, it tells us in verse 7, to bring accusation. And so Jesus Stood up, verse 7. He who is without sin among you, let him cast the stone first. Then he stooped down and he began to write again. Now this side of heaven, we'll never know what Jesus was writing on the ground. There have been a lot who have theorized. Perhaps Jesus, the first time he went down, wrote out the Ten Commandments. And then the second time, he began to write the names of the accusers next to the commandment that they had broken connecting their sin to one of the Ten Commandments. I happen to have caught a summertime cold and it's gonna give me trouble today. The interesting thing in the Greek word, the word that's translated as rote, it means to write down an accusation. And so we do know that the word that they use, Jesus writing on the ground, he's writing down an accusation But we will not know this side of heaven, what Jesus wrote on the ground. But John tells us that as Jesus said, let him who has no sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. From the oldest to the last, they left one by one. Now, I think the oldest to the last was because the longer you live on this life, the more sins can compile upon you. have a little more history and a lot more guilt that can be on you and I think that's why they left from the oldest to the last last month I was talking to a friend of mine who pastors a church out in California and they had a similar situation within their church and that of adultery and there was couples involved and uh, church discipline had to take place and yet the couples who were involved in this adulterous situation they surrendered to the discipline, they confessed their sin. They sought counsel, and relationships were restored. In fact, the two separate marriages that was involved in this, uh, they remained married. They worked through the situation, and my pastor friend said, "You know, there are people in the church that wanted us to kick them out, to bring down the letter of the law against them." And what we did was to bring healing and reconciliation. They were willing, and it was kind of a beautiful ending to a sad story. But the thing is, here it is a year later, and now the younger couples within the church are leaving the fellowship because they feel that they didn't handle things properly. And all I said to him as he was telling me this, that he who has been forgiven much loves much. I think the older we get, the more forgiving we might get in a situation. But the younger we are, we might want to uh, lay down the letter of the law. Come on, this is what the Bible says. This is what the religious rulers were doing. This is what Moses said in the law. She should be stoned. But what do you say? And then Jesus said, hey, let the sinless one cast the first stone. And they all realized that's none of us. But the amazing thing to me in this is that there was one there who was without sin, and it was Jesus. And as Jesus raised himself up in verses 10 through 11, it tells us that he saw no one there but the woman, and he said to the woman, Where are your accusers? And has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And then he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus could have condemned her, but he chose not to. He also challenged her to go and to sin no more. He offered forgiveness, and that's what he does for us to this day. In John three seventeen, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The mission of Christ is to bring salvation to those who are guilty, of breaking God's commandments, God's laws. He came to bring forgiveness. But he also challenged her to go and to sin no more. He did not say, Neither do I condemn you, go and do what you've done before that got you in this situation. He said, No, go and sin no more. And this was common of Jesus in John 5:14, a, a man that had been healed at that time. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. And he said to that man, John 5, 14, see that you've been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And so Jesus just reminding these two individuals, you've been healed. One was a physical healing. One was spiritually, she had been forgiven from the Lord. He chose not to condemn her, but then he said, go and sin no more. And the ideal is to strive for holiness, sinlessness. But in reality, we know that we cannot do that. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And in Romans 1.8, it tells us, Now therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, but he also challenges us to go and to sin no more, to conduct ourselves in such a way that represents Christ in this fallen world that we live in. And how wonderful it is to know that in Christ there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we discover the light of the world, verses 12 through 20. Again, for context, verse 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And the Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and my Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? And Jesus answered and said, you know neither me nor my father. For if you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury where he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Last month's memory verse, John eight twelve, But this month's memory verse as well in John 9, 5. He repeats it again as long as I'm in the world I am the light of the world. And we might be thinking, well, Jesus isn't in the world anymore. Well, spiritually, he is. He he is still among us. He is still the light of the world. And everyone who looks to him shall have this light of life and not walk in the darkness of this world. How wonderful it is to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. He said, you will know when you have lifted me up, you will know. To look to the cross, it brings knowledge to us. And perhaps today, you're not sure about that. You're not sure if Jesus is really all that he said that he was. You're not really sure that faith in Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection can bring about the salvation that the Bible teaches. Well, I challenge you as we close with this one verse. In Jeremiah 33.3, it's a favorite verse of mine. It says, call on me. And I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know So perhaps today you don't know Well, maybe today the Lord is challenging you to call on him Jesus said when I am lifted up when you lift up the son of man, you will know that I am And so he ties it back to the cross Through the cross of Jesus Christ We can find the knowledge needed for our salvation and the work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. But you have to receive it. You can't just have a head knowledge of this. This was the problem of the religious rulers. They had the head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. They never truly believed. And unless one believes, they cannot be saved. Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us this day. We pray in the name of Jesus.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.